can't go wrong investing in young people. And I've just seen it work too many times. Like the example of Irish rugby in the, as I said, in the 90s, not good. Down at the bottom of the five nations, as it was then, six nations, academies were in place. Long-term player development pathway was introduced. Training age grew. Education in the schools happened. Collaboration with the schools. Regular access to the players. More intense access at the older academy age. And then you've got these players coming through, like like Johnny Sexton, like Sean O'Brien. Then the, the next generation come through, and the next generation, and it just flows. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Des Ryan. He's currently the Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College. And our key topic for today's chat will be about athlete development for team sport athletes. So parents of young athletes, athletes themselves, and of course, high-performance staff, staff, make sure to stick around. If you've got any questions for us, you can hit us up on the comment section below wherever you listen to this live chat show. And welcome, Des. Really looking forward to having this chat, mate. Thanks for jumping on. Academy work, lots of players, parents, stages of development. It's much more interesting than that high-performance stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, it's, there's plenty, plenty going on when you're managing a large group like that. And is it something that you've always been passionate about, Des? Like, obviously, we'll get into the topic a little bit later on, but just it's something it seems like you're pretty excited about straight off the bat. It, it grew, I suppose, is how I describe it. And my first role was in an academy back in 1998. And what happened next is it was in Connacht Rugby, yeah, academies and youth development. Then far too early in my career, I got a promotion to the adult professional team. I wasn't ready for it. I, I had a lot to learn very quickly. Thankfully, I was looked after with, with mentors like Liam Hennessy and so on. And yeah, got to grips with that. Challenging, lucky to work with the Irish national team in rugby. But genuinely, about six, eight years into it, I was going, OK, this is a bit repetitive. Home match, away match, gym, recovery, team training, other people. Oh, love it and excited by the big game on the weekend and I, I was but that did fade and then I said to my boss I was honest with him in a, in a review is there something else I could focus on and he said academy and I said yeah cool let's do that but he said Dej you know nothing about it and I had to study for a year he gave me a lot of things to study and then he gave me the opportunity in academy and I loved it and it was so varied so much rich learning so much support was needed so much variation. And yeah, from, from then on in the Irish Rugby Academies, being that, leading people in that, then on to Arsenal Academy, where you could help develop younger players under nine all the way up. That was fascinating. So yeah, my, my interest in it grew early in my career, for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you mentioned, Liam, that there have been some other strong influences or mentors, if you like, that have helped you along yeah. the way or helped shape yeah. your philosophy. Definitely, and and I, I was just thinking about that lean, yeah, from sports science, strength and conditioning, but most of the other mentors are from coaching. People like Stephen Abood. Now, people might know him, but a genius. He was the technical director in Irish rugby. He did some fantastic work there, pulling people together, bringing Irish rugby from 
where it was pretty useless in the 90s and we lost almost every match to yeah one of the best teams in the world now one of the best unions in the world and he he had a lot to do with that so he went to Italy rugby after that and he helped improve the younger teams there and he's off to Canada rugby next so I always check in with him he is a great man for for challenging me for asking me good tough questions not giving too many answers but taking me on a journey in the answer and people like John Tobin, another coach in Gaelic games. Per Metasacker, the academy manager in Arsenal, brilliant at, at creating the vision, mission, pillars, values. Again, pulling people together. Really enjoyed his, his leadership there. And Steve Morrow, scout, talent developer, ex-player, coach. Yeah, he really helped me integrate into soccer, as I call it. Because football, obviously, is Gaelic games football. And yeah, he helped me in the transition to soccer from rugby. So yeah, enjoyable people to to meet and, and develop. Yeah, great range of different people there and, and the backgrounds. What about some highlights, Des? Some moments of your career that sort of spring front of mind that you're proud of? Yeah, yeah. The as as an academy coach is, is what I describe myself. So our best highlights are sitting in the stand with everybody else watching the game, and our trophies are when those young people. Well, there'll be adults then up onto the pitch for the first time. Their first cap playing regularly with the adult team. That's the success in academy. So, so like helping young players in academies in Irish rugby from 07 to 12, you have to wait. You have to be patient. And when I go to the Six Nations around 2018 and the win a Grand Slam and there's plenty of players that came through the, the system, that's good, young, talented men from the academies with the team and other players sitting back and watching them across Europe but with other teams. So basically seeing those people develop are the highlights for sure. And a highlight, and I'm mainly sharing it because people might be interested, is I, I helped author two papers in terms of the approach we used for physically developing players in Arsenal. We published that in the NSCA journal, a bit of an egotistical title, Developing World Class Players, but anyway, someone else came up with that. And recently, we, we published an action statement for Gaelic Games Athletic Development in the UKCA Journal. And a lot of people on that, I think 14 authors on that, pointing out the, the, the future of athletic development in Gaelic Games, the approach, what's best practice. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm very happy with those papers that they're published, real practical, practical papers from the real work. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll have to add links to them in the show notes for those listening in so you can access them. But what about on the flip side, obviously with elite sport comes pressure. What have been some moments over your career that have been challenging and how did you sort of learn or grow from those situations? Definitely. And over the, I was in Arsenal Academy for nine years, different coaches come and go, different coaches have different philosophies. And in, in soccer, sometimes Athletic development, strength training, strength conditioning is looked on with caution. Will it slow them down? Is it the right thing? Will it affect their skills? Will they become too big? And yeah, one of the challenges I, I was working closely with an academy manager, Andrew Shanker, very good, very experienced, comes from Holland. So his background would be, I suppose, more Raymond Verhagen type philosophy to physically developing. And, and yeah. Working with him, I had to come up with solutions. So the learnings was, right, Des, talk to him, listen to him. What is his background? What is his understanding, uh, his perception of physical development? 
once you know that, and I, I listened, and then I went, okay, I want to study that. I went and studied it. I went and did the courses, bought the books. That, that would be his background. Then I got the language, and I used that language when I was talking to him. And then I spoke with him about athletic development and arsenal, traditional athletic development, why it's okay to do strength training at a young age. And he was open and accepted of it. And then it became more of a collaboration. But it could have been a tension. It could have been two different philosophies very far away from each other, disagreeing with each other. And the key learning was, yeah, let's study the other person's philosophy. And when they saw I was had an interest in it, I went to the trouble of going abroad and even studying the course, that opened the door and it, it landed in a good place. Another challenge, more back in time in Irish rugby, if you're working for a national government body, people's perception of strength training and young people. Oh, you shouldn't do it, stunt their growth, all those myths, the usual things. So so changing people's perception of that, understanding of that, education of that, and, and changing the whole community. Yeah, that was that was challenging. But the solution is simplifying, educating, workshopping, talking with, doing a roadshow around the provinces. What is youth athletic development? What it isn't? Sharing the research in a simple way. And then and being patient, it takes time. Yeah, they were two challenges but two good experiences yeah i love that great problem solving and awesome for the listeners especially strength conditioning coaches to hear sort of what's practical and, and how you sort of have to think to to find a way and like you said it might not happen you know quickly but if you persist at it things will turn so thank you for sharing that some couple of great stories feel free to keep, keep bringing plenty more they're they're great to, great to learn We'll get into the key topic of choice, man. As you mentioned, athlete development is a passion of yours. What are some key principles, philosophies, if you like, to yeah, an athlete development for team sport athletes? For sure. And and the first thing is to to have a philosophy. And it's one of the the first questions I ask when we have interviews in the various organizations I work with. I'm, I'm interested in the person's philosophy. And then really an organization should have a philosophy or an approach, many different names for it. Like, like, for example, uh, in Arsenal Academy, eh, and we published it, it's the Arrow approach. First of all, we had to listen and understand the, the football philosophy. And there's a strong one there in the club, originated through Arsene Wenger, lived by people that worked with him. And it's, they, they basically want highly technical players, composed on the ball, ability to, to have do excitement combination play, high-speed players, high-speed repeatability players. So... Once you learn what the technical sport philosophy is, then you can create the the athletic development philosophy. So the athletic development philosophy in, in Arsenal is the arrow approach. Also listening to the to the CEO at the time, they wanted players ready quickly and appropriately. So the arrow was the point that way. Let's get them ready quickly and efficiently. And then built into the arrow, and a lot of people created this, is functional competence. So these young people, they got to have move well. Good mobility, good stability, being able to get into a, a lot of different positions with control. Movement skills was the next pillar in the ar- in the arrow. So having mature level movement skills and then going on to more advanced speed plyo type activity. One of the aims there was to reduce the risk of injury and reduce injuries within the academy. So if you listen to the coaches, if you listen to the decision makers in the club, if you see the needs of the players, then an approach of philosophy appears like the arrow. And then everybody should understand it, even parents, players, coaches, facilities, operations, science and medicine. 
now you've got a, an approach built on the needs of the players, the needs of the club, and and everything else grows from there. The specifics of of the the athletic development. How for a perhaps a an S and C that's listening that their workplace doesn't have something that clear, but they'd like to sort of bring that to the table and workshop that concept of bringing their in their own arrow, if you like. How long did it take, Sophia? And then also, how hard was it to sort of maintain the standards from a consistency point of view where you kept sticking to it before it became a habit? Good, good question. Because the short answer is took one hour and the longer answer it took nine years because it's reviewed, it evolves, it's added to and everybody should do it and I think they'll enjoy it and a lot of people are doing it now. We're not the only ones but get people in a room, right? Ask the question, what sort of players do we want to develop? Now, how are we going to develop them? And I can remember the meeting where it appeared and the doctor came up with the arrow once we described what the CEO, Ivan Gazizis, wanted. He wanted players ready quickly and efficiently. Okay, let's listen and let's draw that up. Then the four pillars of it appeared from people there. Coaches were in the room, so technically they were there at the creation. of the, uh, They had an input to this. Now you've got buy-in. And at the end of that hour, you, you've only a little drawn. Now it's not much. Now we can go and fill out the, the, the next few pages. And at the end of the first season, it might have only been 10 pages long. After that, progression was how well, not how much, level one player. Then how well and how much, get them strong, level two player. Then how well, how much, how fast, level three player. And then elite level, which is level four, getting ready for the adult first team or being better than the players in the adult first team. Then came the... The, the, what the players have to achieve to get from one level to another. Now you've got some challenges for the players in, in technique, in movement, in loads lifted, etc. as you go through this. And then, okay, let's create an exercise menu. Boom, exercise menu appears in the categories of horizontal, push-pull, vertical push-pull, single, double, pillar strength, jumps, etc. And now you've exercise menu to do fundamental movement skills, primal movements, cooperative games, purposeful play, now we have a framework for the sessions with the young players. Now we fill out the menu and you can see how it can, can grow over the nine years then. And at the end of every year, let's review, let's reflect. Oh yeah, this second year, there's a bit of a challenge in, in specialization. What should they do? What they shouldn't do in terms of sport? Let's create a, a position statement on specialization. Okay, now that appears, that goes into the, the approach. And then we had some challenges with surfaces. Okay, what boots should the players wear? Let's do a little position statement on that and let's add that to the document. And another year, I'll stop now in a minute, don't worry. We had a, it was a big learning for me. Yeah, Ramadan, one of the players, I, I am quite embarrassed. It was, it was new to me. I never trained a player during Ramadan. I learned so much from the player. He put on fat mass. I never thought that would have happened considering the, the context of Ramadan and basically just sat down, listened to him sat down, listened to, to other people, and we came up with our approach to Ramadan and guidelines for it from then. And that goes into the athletic development framework. Now you've got a, a large working document that, by the way, is only one section of the overall performance plan. And, and the club would have a vision, mission, objectives, strategies, key performance indicators, values. And in, in, in Arsenal Academy, there'd be four pillars of player development. And it like technical, tactical, psychosocial, physical, and we'd fit into the, the physical. 
and all this document, athletic development framework, would be the the guidance on how the players are physically developed. But there'll be something similar for technical, for education, for psychosocial. And now you're talking about a real high quality term player development framework. But it starts with a 45 minute meeting and can take as long as it goes on for. Yeah. It's great that it's sort of not just that 45 meeting and then it's sort of forgotten about and not actioned, but it's constantly refined and polished up over the years and reviewed, like you said, so important. For that that workbook that you mentioned with the position statements, is that something that's for like a new staff member to come in and, and part of their onboarding process or is it for players to access, new players, like talk us through who so has access yeah, to that workbook? That would be mainly the science and medicine department, uh, the full detail. We're probably the only ones interested in the full detail, but access, of course, coaches have a, can have a look at it. They contribute to certain parts of it, the integrated conditioning. Players, yeah, it, it, that would be more the education workshops that are built into the journey of the player. And the content would be simplified, broken down into different workshops and then delivered to the player. Uh, similarly with parent workshops, similarly in, in my old office, I had a poster behind me which summarized the, the framework. So it will be shared appropriately so that it's, it's digestible, understandable, and, and memorable in terms of players, parents, other support people. But yeah, uh, freely available to people within the club. Yeah, accessible. And you mentioned the you know, listening to the technical coaches and the operatives and, and, and how important it was for, for players to be fast and repeat at repeat speed. We're going to add in an extra speed session here once a fortnight or we're going to prioritize speed at the start of sessions. Like how, how to just sort of action in that philosophy. Yeah. So a, a very important thing to me is making sure we've windows to develop players. And I've been in many different organizations and at different stages of the season when pressure comes on, Coaches might go, oh, no, no, we won't do speed today. No, no, we won't do, I need to work on, on technical, etc." And the law of this will be that bit of give and take. But in a large organization where there's teams from under nine to under 23, 220 odd players, many different coaches, many different support people. One of the important things is to agree with le- senior leadership where we are the windows that we physically develop the player with just the the athletic development coach or with the athletic development coach and the technical coach. So that was one of the things that I was was very happy with because it takes consistent contact and application over long term to develop players and you need the windows to do that. So for example, under 18s who are full-time in in a soccer club like like Arsenal, they would come in on Monday and do monitoring, readiness to train. They do readiness to train on Friday as well. There's a bit of a story to that, actually. The first year I brought the players together and I said, how often would you be willing to do readiness to train? And I explained what it was. But I really want you to tell me the truth. And I really want you to do the assessment with full intensity. And otherwise, it is not worth doing it. And I said, how often would you be willing to do that? And I went, and in my head, I was going, oh, no, I want to do it most days, maybe four times. Okay. And I said, right, I would rather do it more as long as you do it intensely and you tell the truth. So they did. And as time went by, I went, you know, they were right and I was wrong. Because all I needed is a little glimpse how the players are at the start of the week and a little glimpse at the end of the week. Did we do a developmental week? Did we do too much, too little? If there was 
players flagged on Monday. Of course, you could do a few more during the week with that individual in those areas. But I sat back and I went, players can be very clever at times. And they were bang on with the amount. And if we did it more times than that, they wouldn't do it properly. They'd just fill out the palms just with random numbers. They wouldn't jump as properly as they should. So, sorry, I'm digressing, but that was an important insight from the players. So, monitoring on Monday, then what we call a priority session. So, before they go out to the pitch, whatever they need to improve on, and it could be a young player from from Spain who hasn't a high strength and condition age, just joined us, needs to learn his techniques. It could be another player who didn't hasn't got good movement quality based on the movement screens and observations, needs to work on their mobility, stability. Another player needs to work on their speed if it's the appropriate time of the week, probably not on Monday, but they're maybe working on speed te- technique. Other players need to work on speed, strength, strength, speed, etc. So, and then just getting activated for the session. So a priority session next 20 minutes. I'm, I'm over-exaggerating the the, the intensity and, and volume of it, but it's just a, a 20-minute unit before they go to the pitch. Then pitch training, typically in the morning on a Monday, lunch and athletic development in the afternoon, mainly upper body, but somewhat whole body. Tuesday, priority session, double pitch session, another gym session at the end of the day, blasting their legs, exercises in the gym done earlier in the morning in the priority session. Usually it'll be Wednesday off for cover after that tough Tuesday. Then in for Thursday, priority session, pitch session, afternoon gym session, athletic development, Friday, monitoring. Okay, did we could do a good developmental week? Then pitch session and yeah, half day Friday, education maybe in the afternoon, education on the Wednesday, match on the, the Saturday. So before the trainings on Tuesday, we got more linear game speed and we got more change of direction game speed on the Thursday. Then athletic development on the Monday afternoon. Tuesday morning after and afternoon, Thursday afternoon, and priority sessions four times in the week in the morning and two monitoring. So that's loads of time to get athletic development. And really the the Tuesday morning session is the real tough football fitness session where we, we yeah, get them fit. With the, the Yeah, yeah. But well, with the development program it, it's a lot more advanced than it is in Australia in terms of how we prepare professionals typically they'll be high school athletes and if they might be in some talent pathway programs for a part-time basis and then they're drafted and now they're a full-time athlete where there's a real focus from nearly on like you mentioned from a nine-year-old all the way through to hopefully they make pro i imagine you've seen a lot of different academy programs what are some of the real perks when you do develop an athlete from such a younger age from a physical athlete development point of view investing in young people and i've just seen it work too many times like the example of Irish rugby in the, as I said, in the 90s, not good. Down at the bottom of the five nations, as it was then, six nations, academies were in place. Long-term player development pathway was introduced. Training age grew. Education in the schools happened. Collaboration with the schools. Regular access to the players. More intense access at the older academy age. And then you've got these players coming through, like like Johnny Sexton, like Sean O'Brien, then the the next generation come through and the next generation and it just flows. And similarly with, with Arsenal, the club knew that it, it needed to improve in the area in terms of science and medicine. Clever people like Colin Lewin wanted to bring people like myself and others in. They knew it's challenging jump from teenage years into something like the Premier League. They knew it's challenging to jump from school by soccer 
the full-time academy soccer. They, they need support players. But I think if we sit back and the club is, is very appreciative of, of the players that came through the system, you've got players like Bakaya Saka, Neil Smith-Rowe, Eddie Nketia, Joe Willock, who went to Newcastle for millions and millions. So now it, it self-funds and it creates players and it, it's a more economical way of doing things than spending hundreds of millions on a, on a player uh, when you can develop your own player. I will say it's a specialist area. It's, it needs a bit of grey hair, a bit of experience when you're, when you're developing something. Too often it's early career, mid-career practitioners yeah. that are put into academy. How are they in meetings? How are they at influencing? How are they at uh, getting budgets? How are they at budgeting? How are they at managing people? Their early career, mid-career, logic would suggest that they're they're just learning. But as I said earlier, it's way more complex. Parents, different stages of development, different levels of knowledge. You need to know all the, the, the papers, research models on, on player development, like Rodri Lloyd's work, the Goblin model that's, that's from Australia, Dan Baker's work. Avery Fagenbaum's work and Sean Cummings' work. So important. And you've got to have a, a great understanding of maturation, biological maturation. How do you assess that? How do you interpret it? How do you share it? What do you do once you have the information? You've figured out this player is an early developer. This player is a, a late developer. This player is growing 18 centimetres a year at this moment in time. How do you modify training based on that? Should you modify training? Uh, how do you articulate that to the coaches, parents, to Make sure the right players stay in the system are are in the system, and be humble that this is only the physical information. It's only one slice of the cake. It's only maturation in terms of of physical. There's there's a psychological maturation. There's technical tactical maturation. You have to get people together to look at the full picture, to evaluate the player, to develop the program, and to select or deselect if it's that stage. So very responsible, very complex. The right people, and the more experienced people in academies, the more worthwhile, I would say, investing in, in young people. Have you noticed over the last sort of 10, 15 years that the big clubs, I imagine today, to have people like yourself, people that have got experience, comes you know, some financial investment from the club, hence why in the other clubs it will be new grads because it, they'll take the, 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 you know, the smaller wage. Um, mm. and that's traditionally how it's probably done more often than not in academy programs. People get to cut their teeth. But it's to detriment, obviously, to, to younger elite athletes. Uh, so, how do you how do you sort of see the progress over the last sort of ten years? Is it quite exponential in terms of clubs are really starting to see the value, like you said, the investment they can get on the other end of it with with big time players, and therefore, is it changing, or is it sort of been something that's been slow progress from your point of view? Yeah, I, I see a change definitely, and more more needs to happen. And but yeah, it is changing. I see it in the Premier League. There's, there's other big clubs with very experienced people in academy, head of science and medicine type positions. I see the same trend in the female game, in the adult female sports, like previously it used to be, again, early mid-career people using it as a stepping stone in, in England are putting very experienced people into those positions, and rightly so, because they're, they're 100 cap international players that need good knowledge supporting them. Um, but yeah, it's it's evolving that way, slowly. Once people see the benefits, they awaken to it, and more and more people are awakening. And and I'll emphasise, you do need the experience again. And a story linked with that would be when I arrived in Arsenal. Like a lot of soccer clubs, the young players came along, had their breakfast, 
did their training, did a few exercises after training or before, had their lunch and went home. And now in my lens, I'm going, oh, no, these are young. They need to be here all day, full day, nine to five. They've loads of work to do in all many areas. But someone with less experience might have went, oh, no, this is rubbish. No, you need to change to this. That doesn't achieve change. What I did is chat through with the, the senior decision makers, chat through with facilities, everyone that it affect the restaurant, chat through with, with the kit people, chat through with the coaches, discuss it in a journey, lay out options, learn some, some good suggestions, and then everyone decides, yeah, we do need to train nine to five most days. How can we do it? Well, if we put this in place, we might need a bit more investment here. Yeah, let's go get that. Will this put people out in any way? Maybe at the start, but everyone sees the logic to it, and then it happens. And and that's the type of evolution, influence that a, a more experienced person can have to get the the best out of environments like academies. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I see it growing. And obviously, sporting organisations have the priorities, like their main team or whatever it may be. But for sustainability, for for regular throughput of players, it's it's worth the investment. Yeah, in the academy. So some things confuse us out there in, in in the academic world. People would say success at younger age groups does not predict success at older age groups. Technically in certain populations that's true. But what I my lens looking at that is mm, yeah, but probably not the correct players were selected at the young age. Maturation mm-hmm. wasn't taken into consideration. Um holistic development wasn't in place to help the right talent ID wasn't in place, etc. So yeah. there are some communities that would say it's not worth investing in it because you don't know who the stars are going to be. But in, in other more evolved environments, yeah, it's, it's hard to predict who's going to be the talented people. But within a, a range of a squad, yeah, you're going to be looking after some very talented people there. And, yeah. and you're, you're less likely to miss out. And very hard for a player to play in the top five leagues in Europe in soccer if they're not well developed from a young age. So yeah, it's ineffective, so really. You mentioned the importance of integrating and throughout the whole time the a holistic program, how essential it is, not just looking at the lens of the physical, but the tactical, the te- technical, the psychological. So that component of getting the fitness work in with, you know, ball in hand or ball in foot and with the coaches, is that a matter of, how, like, for the athletes that perhaps need to work on their aerobic capacity and need that foundational aerobic development is it using objective markers like gps to give them feedback to improve with with the soccer drills or do you sort of just top them up with the work perhaps if they're they're not doing the work in the skills so you top them up after how do you sort of approach that lovely area and from top down one of the pillars of player development is called in arsenal is most efficient mover and a subheading of that is football fitness and a very clever strategy of the academy manager per matasaker is to highlight the all in football, in red. And the message there is all of us are responsible. Not just the coach, not just the fitness coach. You know how it is if a team isn't fit, that fitness coach isn't good enough or what strength condition or whatever. He emphasised we're all responsible for nutrition, psychology, operations. So we all need to get that player to be a most efficient mover in the, the pillar there. So now you move down, it's people working together. Okay, mm-hmm. you got a coach conditioner. We do our tests. We do our, our, our mass tests. We do our yo-yo intimate recovery level one. We know what we've nine years of data. We know what the player's level should be at. We know who needs to work on something, who doesn't. But we, we're thinking of the philosophy of the club. 
we like to get fit through the game in the majority. Yeah. Our technical players. It's more efficient if it's done through the game, more beneficial in many other ways. Right. Now you've got the coach and conditioner planning together. Where's the big day? It's the football fitness day on the Tuesday. Thursday. Yeah, that's tasty enough session. That's planned together as well. Restart day and match day minus one. Yeah, mainly the coach. Conditioner interested in the volume and intensity. Now you in the environment like Arsenal Academy, you got GPA. Okay. Let's do our session design with our acute training variables, the size of the pitch, duration of the stuff, the games, the, the the duration of the session, the content of the session. Is it possession games at the start? Is it small-sided games in the middle or at the end? And yeah, now you've got your session plan. If you do that every week, now you've got a curriculum of sessions. And if you assess every session, now you've got the typical outputs for each of those sessions and your menu grows. Back to the session, the gold standard is live GPS, session plan together, aiming for certain outputs like 800 metres of high speed running on a Tuesday before a Saturday game, true games in the majority, conditioners there, letting the coach know how it's going, we're going good coach, coach is interested, session finishes, coach is happy with the technical tactical, the effort of the players and the right outputs are achieved. It might be a rainy Tuesday, players may be a bit grumpy. You mightn't achieve that. Coaches, happy. Yeah, let's top them up. Let's get what we were trying to get. Make sure it's a worthwhile session. And then that's where the top up comes in. Now, maybe on a Tuesday as well, you need the speed stimulus at the start when you're fresh. GPS is there. Conditioner creates the environment for a maximal sprint. Yes, players have got above 95% of their max speed. They've got their speed stimulus. They've got their conditioning through the game. If they didn't get what we're aiming for, they're topped up. That's it a wonderful environment, enjoyable environment to develop the player's fitness. It's turning the pitch into a gym session. You have your yeah. sets, loads. Happy. Yeah, gradual overload. Yeah, it's 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 one of the areas of athletic development I, I really enjoy. And then in, in an academy, you're sharing information. This is under 16s, this is under 18s, this is under 23. It should be a stairway. Maybe at times it isn't. It, it's it is hard to find a coach that's good at that, what I just described. The top coaches are, some coaches struggle with it, they're, and they need to be helped. And yeah, so there's, there's variations of it out there. But what you yeah. can do, if a coach is struggling, you can share, oh, look at what the players are doing before. We probably need to progress from that because they're doing something similar under 16, under 18, for example. Look at where the players have to get to under 23s. There's a big step. Let's close that gap. Look at what they're doing at the adult team and suggestions can be made. And there's nothing wrong with, okay, if we have to do it mainly through top-ups and let's practice with these games, let's share the activities that create those big outputs and, and it, grows, it grows from there. And you mentioned another one in terms of player availability and how that was highly valued. What, what are some important injury mitigation sort of practices that the clubs or you've yeah. seen? effective clubs have done over the years so the readiness to train was there as i said on the the monday and the the friday for the older players and that was simple things like grind squeeze counter movement jump palms hydration and what we tried to do is over the course of a season in the squad of about 40 50 between two age groups let's aim for just eight to ten times we pull a player from training because if we're pulling players from training more than that we're not planning well. Sometimes we achieved that, sometimes we didn't. It was more. But if we plan things properly, yeah, only through the whole season, we pull a player from training eight to ten times. Now, 
every week there'd be three to four players who were training would be modified and they may not do all the conditioning games. They may not do all of the session in full. And that helps the player get back to full recovery, get ready for the developmental sessions and the match on the weekend. So there's the monitoring. And the way it flowed was the players come in, do their monitoring, go up for breakfast, coaches look at the information. Then the most important thing, they go up and they have chats with the player, get the context, just let him have his input. Then there's time to go to the planning session with the coaches. Modifications could be made or a player doesn't train or can't train. And then it flows into the into the session. That's one thing. Another very interesting area in academy is, again, the maturation. So if we assess the player's biological maturation using the camus roach method, percentage of adult height, we have a couple of measurements. We know the rate of growth of the player. There's the context. A player is growing more than 7.2 centimetres a year. Research would suggest the player is more predisposed to growth-related injuries. But we don't change anything just based on that one figure. We sit in an interdisciplinary team. Okay, anything from the physio? Yeah, the player is 2 out of 10 pain in their knee. So Osgood's but not injured, can train. Okay, context. Conditioner? Yeah. Coordination in the gym, not good recently. Adolescent awkwardness? Okay, two symptoms. Coach? Yeah, I noticed the same on the pitch. Coordination's not great. Right. The coach is the CEO of the team. It's your call, coach. But one thing we could do to mitigate injury is we don't do the last 15 minutes of the session. The player does coordination work with the physio conditioner. That reduces the chance of that 2 out of 10 going up to 8 out of 10 and then the player not training. And we manage the player through that phase of growth. And the, the coach agrees, OK, there's a good way of keeping the player on the pitch. Keeping good quality injury audits and reviewing every quarter and coming up with actions. And if you don't have a have a good phase, okay, well, let's look at the possible contributors. Let's write down the, the things we should change and let's look at that again this time next year to reduce the risk of injury. Yeah, helps. And, and I'm a big believer in good quality movement, functional competence, doing good quality screens, hip internal, internal, external rotation, overhead squats, modified Thomas tests, more dynamic ones like like took tests, less tests. Once you have that info and your own observations, okay, there's a, a baseline for a player. Obviously, movement scores don't predict injuries. Not not many things do, but it gives you a clue. It's a contributor to reducing the risk. So if those scores get worse through fatigue, through uh, whatever it may be, okay, let's check them again. Let's get back to normal. An academy player will be trying to develop them anyway, and that helps reduce the the risk of it, along with, of course, getting strong. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great, great way to just get an insight on the, the decision making and how you really apply the information. If you had that same scenario, but with a senior athlete, two out of 10 pain and notice a bit of training coordination was off, but they've got an upcoming game, would you, you know, let them carry on or, or is it a similar thing for, you know, for a mature age athlete? Dipping out of my comfort zone, no, you mentioned adult players, but. I did, did yeah. work with adult players in the past, and the difference is it's under 18. It's not the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where it is more challenging with the adult. You can modify training. You can do more squad rotation. You can just sit the player out if there's a, a risk there. Oh, different world if you're trying to win the Heineken Cup, Champions Cup rugby in Europe, now it's called, and you're trying to win the AFL Championship. It's a semi-final. The player isn't 100% fit. Not many are at the adult phase with a, a league 
system. You yeah. have those same monitoring tools. You know how bad it is, how good it is. You can evaluate the risk. And if it isn't head or heart, of course, head or heart, just sit out. If it's yeah. muscular and there is a risk, you've done your, your sessions, you know how the player's moving. Yeah, sometimes the the dial is turned down in the pulling of players and modifying with the adult. And that's where there's some great practitioners like Philip Morrow and Saracens, etc., who who manage that really well with the player's interest at heart and the performance of the team at heart. And shared decision-making, I think, would be the, the correct term for, for making a decision like that. And in the academy setting, you mentioned the coaches. There was an, a moment there where the phys- everyone's involved in the same room, but just before training starts. And is it just the head coach? Is it the line coach? Is it one's coaching there? Or who's in the room for that um, the, list? The, the whole... Yeah, the whole lot. And and in fairness to the Premier League academies, I think they're leading the way in interdisciplinary work. And one of the one of the instigators of that is that the league as a whole have, have rules, EPPP rules, and they really emphasize the right qualifications of people. They really emphasize the right contact with those people. And it really emphasizes interdisciplinary work. So every academy has to have a performance plan. In that is is a vision, mission, pillars, as I say, values. The club I was in really lived by that performance plan and the philosophy of the club. And one of the real good practices was the regular interdisciplinary meetings. So you'd meet him from nine to twenty three and more and more people as you got older. So if we look at under eighteens, you have the sports psych, you have the nutritionist, you have operations, you have education, you have the coaches, you have the physios, you have the athletic development coaches. Sure, I'm forgetting someone, performance analysis, and they have to work together. It's led by the coach. That's the framework that was in the club, and rightly so. And every day, no, not those numbers. A smaller amount of that would be in the pre-session planning. But every week, there'd be a proper interdisciplinary meet. The players, there'd be a player review every six weeks with those interdisciplinary team. Not everyone, but a, 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 a representation of each area. And then there'd be a player parent review and then there'd be a squad review and then there'd be phase meetings as well so the under 12s 13s 14s would get together and discuss how they work together so these were timetabled in that it wasn't meeting overload they were they were smartly planned in but yeah it, it led for some fascinating meetings and say a long-term injury we'd have a player meeting without the player first we'd brainstorm okay what could we do and one of the great initiatives from the the sports site was right there's an injury Let's take the player's mind off the injury. Let's learn a new skill, learn a new language, have a new challenge. And we had players learn to play the guitar, learn a different language. And yeah. we could have good conversations like most of the environments I worked with in the past. Players injured, over to you, Des and, and Physio, you look after them. Coaches are busy because we were having those types of meetings. That sort of thing didn't happen. That sort of thing evolved. So, okay, what are we doing in the four pillars? Okay, physical, we got our rehab, return to performance plan. Champion mentality, psychology, new skill, and developing certain areas in terms of performance psychology. Effective team player, the technical and tactical pillar. Okay, performance analysis and coach, we can do this amount of support for the player each week. Yeah, and education, okay, now that there, there's less game time, we can do a little bit more education. So the four pillars are discussed. Um, lifelong learner, education, effective team player, technical, tactical, champion mentality, psychosocial, most efficient mover, physical. And the program contains something from all those four pillars. 
and the interdisciplinary people plan together and everybody feels they need to contribute, especially to their pillar. And now the player has a holistic program. And now there's a chance to review it, discuss it, evolve it. And it's how it should work. And I think, yeah, Premier League Academy's great examples of interdisciplinary because of the the the, the volume of people, but they're an example to the, the other sports, I think. Yeah. And did that for that to work, like you said, that is quite advanced. Um, certainly not something I've experienced before where everyone like that is in, in that particular meeting. How did that come about in terms of fitting that in the schedule? Obviously, you've got to value it and, and prioritise it, but yeah, I imagine it, the coaches, what you said, they're busy. They would have been doing something with that time slot. So what did, did you have to sacrifice something in the program to allow the coach to be available to be in that, in that meeting? Or so. No, I think afternoons for coaches are, are not too bad. A lot of the yeah. trainings are in the morning, and yeah, there's definitely time there. And the coaches in Arsenal are fantastic. And they were, yeah, let's let's do this, enjoy this. And the the managers, like the head of coach and academy manager, they they encouraged it with the various player management system apps we'd have. It'll be timetabled smartly. And our periodization was three weeks on and a deload week. And then in a deload week there's less sessions, there's less contact, and that's the typical time for reviews, for player progress meetings, squads retain release meetings. And as long as the, the people's hours weren't overstretched, and I, I never saw that happen. Yeah, it worked. It was pretty good. And I don't want people to think, oh, that's only possible in Premier League. Where I'm now yeah, in, in Satanta, as well as education, we support teams and organisations. And one of our projects is a Gaelic Games club, amateur. Everyone is volunteers in it. And that club has a performance document. It's built over time with the coaching committee there. They have a vision. They have a mission, they have the four pillars, the values, principles of play, and they have interdisciplinary work. Not as often as a, as an Arsenal Academy, but often. And I'm on the performance committee who meet regularly, who review the different the facilities person. A friend who does the statistics, performance analysis statistics on match day. The physio that comes once a week for the game. And the athletic development coach who's there regularly with the coach. And maybe there's an assistant coach. Now, you've got six people there, maybe more, and they need to understand the philosophy of the club, the principles of pay. They need to develop the timetable. They need to do reviews of how it went for the first quarter. And now the exact same in principle is happening in a volunteer community club as was happening in a, an elite academy like ours. Dived into some great information there and, and stories. And is there anything that we perhaps haven't touched on in terms of an athlete development program that you'd like to share, Des, before we sort of wrap it up? We, we, we covered a lot there. No, I don't want yeah. to. I could ramble on for a long time on that. So I think I enjoyed, I enjoyed what we covered. Yeah, a lot of things I'd, I'd like to share we got covered. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, if anything pops up, feel, feel free to, to jump in. But last few questions. In your work life, is there anything that makes you angry? Anything, any pet peeve oh. industry? Or? Yeah, oh, of course there is. Sure, we all have that. Yeah. And people who over complexify if that's even a word yeah there's some very simple things in our industry in athletic development sadly what really annoys me sometimes people want to sound intelligent and that they have the only answers and they describe something that's very simple really complexly and i'm going no no our role is to help people understand it our role is to help everybody live and breathe it and and when we over complexify 
and things are complex. I'm not shying away from complexity, but if they're over complexified for, for no reason, unnecessarily, yeah, that's, that could be annoying. People yeah. forgetting the past. Most answers to most questions are in our past. And there's a lot of things now that are, are, are shared as the next new thing. Did that in, in East Germany back in the, in the, 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 the 40s, 30s, 50s. No, that's not new, but yeah. it's sold as new, but not too much. Yeah, there's only a, a couple. Love those. They resonate. What about what's your favorite way to spend a day off? I'm, I'm older now, so I like the countryside. That's why I, I moved back to the, the west of Ireland where I'm from, and I love the, the countryside there, the scenery, the sea. So I like just a half day in the countryside. I do a bit of paddleboarding. That's the only sport I can do these days. And getting away, paddleboarding, countryside. And of course, at the end of the day, watching the match, any sort of sport. So but that's my, my sort of relaxing day. Yeah, very good. And we're sort of halfway through the year, 2023. What's on the horizon for you, Des? What are you most excited about for the rest of the year? Yeah, well, as a, as a supporter, I'm going to the Rugby World Cup. So I'll be spending a month in France now and really looking forward to that. And maybe professionally, uh, this is something people might be interested in. We recently pulled together a, a sports science working group, and that's for the male and female Gaelic games, camogie, ladies football, hurling football. And we developed a sports science framework. And it's a vision for 2030 for Gaelic Games. What provision should be in place in terms of sports science? And we, we covered most of the sports sciences, performance analysis, skill acquisition, athletic development, psychology, nutrition, etc. And a guidance of what should be in place from all along the player pathway, from young to old. It, it follows the Goblin model, actually, Australian influence in it. The centre is F3, the community. The club, that's the main part of it. It's unique Gaelic Games that it's, it's amateur and it's all about participation. Yeah, there's an elite end to it and lots of people go watching the matches. But the beauty in Gaelic Games, there's a club in every community in Ireland. It's the mm-hmm. hub of activity. It's the hub of community. So this is sports science helping that. More about participation than performance. I spent most of the time talking performance. We scribed what should be in place for athletic development at all the stages, F1, F2, F3, talent, elite, and what should be done, who should be doing it, and how it should be done. And the vision is to put those things in place. So I am looking forward to those things coming alive and the journey on to 2023. And if people are interested, it's freely available on the the GAA website. And I always like to share things as well as that on the GAA website is the Be Ready to Play program. So that was when we were coming back from covid and we were physically preparing people to be ready to play the the gaa asked myself and a few others come up with programs so on that actually is a load of free programs videos descriptions showing the section in life maybe six months of programs in mobility stability speed strength endurance for the youth the youth player the adult player and the advanced level player so it's it's there if you're it and yeah it's it's aimed towards Gaelic games, but they could be useful for many different. Oh, it's very similar to Australian rules football. So there's some easy, football easy. Just in that, yeah, absolutely value that. So we'll, we'll, add, we'll find a link to get ready, be ready mm-hmm. to play link, and we'll add it in the show notes for, for the yeah, listeners to enjoy. But that's a great resource. Very good, Des. Well, really appreciate your time. I know it's early in the morning, so appreciate you getting up and, and you know, 
diving straight into into this chat. I thoroughly enjoyed it. No doubt the listeners have taken plenty from it. If you tuned in halfway through, you can watch this on our YouTube channel and we'll release it on June 7th, so in a couple of weeks' time on our podcast. Our next live chat show will be with John Kylie. They'll be on June 8th at 4 p.m. Australian Standard Time. So I look forward to seeing you then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Ramada, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for. Sort of three things, and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions 
and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.